Morning. It's, uh, it's nice to be back as we carry on looking at, at this kind of theme of, uh, of God's mission for the world, what that looks like, what God is calling us uh, to be in it. And this morning we're kind of looking at uh, the role of the Holy Spirit energizing us to be the people of God in the mission of God. And uh, what I'm going to try and do this morning is, is give a couple of pointers to how it is that God takes a bunch of people like you and I and suddenly turns us into a transformative power and force that is called to change the world. Let me ask you, do you feel like a world changer this morning? Okay, I won't ask you that. I'll just kind of move, uh, I'll move really, uh, really quickly on. Uh, I forgot Perth's reticence uh, there for a minute. But uh, no, let me, try, let me try again. Do you often think of yourself as somebody who, through encountering the presence of Jesus and meeting with Jesus, is not left the same person with the same goals and the same destiny and the same ambitions but rather through the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the outworking of God's plan, you're given all that you're going to need to be somebody who transforms the world. So that your destiny is no longer making the most money that you can. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Helping out people where you can. There's nothing wrong with that. But your destiny is being part of a movement so filled by the presence of God that you become salt and light everywhere. And you have the, the, the most wonderful privilege ever given that you're called to partner with Jesus as he brings about his rule, i.e. the kingdom of God, everywhere. Is that not kind of exciting? Even for Perth people. That's kind of, that's kind of exciting. You know why it's exciting to me? It's exciting to me because it says to me there is no street in Perth that cannot be transformed by God. There is nobody that I'm going to meet in the workplace that cannot be transformed by God. There is nobody so broken and damaged and hurt that you will ever come across that is beyond the scope of the kingdom grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so every moment is an opportunity to move not within the natural, but within the supernatural and allow the work of God to flow through you into other people. An agent for transformation. And when God breathes his spirit, not just on an individual, but on a people who suddenly understand what it is to keep in step with the spirit of God, then all things are possible. All things are possible. And the biggest problem I think we have in the church, and the church is a, is a beautiful thing. We were thinking about that this morning. You know, um, as, as a fifer, I've said this before, I'm a fifer, so uh, come from fife, and how, how do fifers stay balanced? Well, we keep a chip on either shoulder. Um, <laughs> that's the way we, we kind of live. We're, we're cynical by nature. And it's so easy to be cynical about the church, isn't it? I mean, let's face it. Look at one another. <laughs> so easy to become cynical about the church. Right? Because the church messes up, doesn't it? 
The church is not full of perfect people. The church is full of saved, sinful people who still make a mess of stuff, right? right? Some are saying, no, I'm not so sure about that. I'm kind of perfect myself. Uh, um, but here's, here's the wonder of the church, is that, that God takes this group of failed and failing people and breathes such life and love into them and absolutely adores them and has a heart towards them and cherishes them and involves them in what God's plan is that suddenly that messed up group of people are the weak vessels that change the world and beautify it. And that is your calling. Almost despite ourselves, that is our calling. So, so here's, here's my thing. And um, this is all preamble, you understand. This doesn't count in the time of the talk. Um, but, but this is the thing. Perth should be more beautiful because there are Christians in it. Right? Your street should be better because you live there. Your workplace should have a different feel about it because it's where God's placed you to be. Because where Christians in the spirit are, transformation takes place. It has to because it's the Holy Spirit's love working through you. And so even though it's messed up, it's better than it would have been had you not been there. And the goal of our lives is to be so open to that work of God that we are beautifying wherever God's called us to. And so the mess that sin has created and the damage to relationships and the damage to people and the damage to society and the lack of justice and over and over and over we can list things. Bit by bit, it's as if we're taking, I don't know, a beautiful scattered dust that we scatter wherever we are and the horribleness and nastiness and corrosion of sin are being redeemed and renewed and lives are being changed and beauty is coming out of ugliness. And it's coming because you are filled with the Spirit and you are called to change. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't it amazing that just by your presence filled with the Spirit, you bring hope to places and hope to people. And the biggest problem is we don't get it. That's the biggest problem. The biggest problem isn't that God wants to change things. The biggest problem is we don't believe that God is going to use us to change things. And so we don't get in our hearts and in our hands and in our minds the possibility that I could be the agent of change. Hope that makes sense. So into a couple of readings uh, from the New Testament, well-known verses from Matthew 28, the Great Commission. I think it's going to go up on the screen. There we go. (coughs) Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee on the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And then in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. I still like these old hard copies of the Bible. It's the kind Paul used to go around with. And, uh, and it's different to the one on the phone. So um, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. First slide, please. So today we're talking about mission and the Holy Spirit because mission is a supernatural experience that people try to do naturally. In other words, we look at all the problems in church and in society and in the world and we try and do them all ourselves and we put ourselves together and we come up with programs and strategies and all sorts of things. And the one thing that they actually lack is they lack any power. They lack power. But God has said that actually mission will take place through the Holy Spirit coming upon God's people. So next slide. God is a missional God. By the amount of weeks we've been looking at mission eyes, I'm kind of guessing that you understand this, right? That God's heart is towards mission, towards the lost, towards renewal, towards everything that has been broken and damaged through sin. God's heart is to transform it and make it all things new again. God is passionate about the business of renewal. He is missional. In the same way as God is holy, God is love, God is mercy, God is mission. Picture, if, if you will, the Yorkshire vet. Anybody watch the Yorkshire vet? Hey, one or two people. Uh, country file. Anybody admit to watching country file? Yeah, there's a few people watch country file. Okay. So picture on country file um, a shepherd who, who is fairly wealthy, comfortable, got a flock of a hundred sheep, right? And when he's counting the sheep back in, and he knows exactly how much every sheep is worth, they're all worth whatever it is uh, per sheep, he counts them out, and there's 99 there. And he's got the 99, he's lost one. Now you'd think on country file, the shepherd would go, that's a sad loss, but it's only a 1% of my 100 kind of sheep. So it's a natural loss. Better to keep the 99, try and feed them up a wee bit, get a little bit more money at market for them, or whatever it is. You would think on country file, this farmer is mental if he leaves the 99 to go and find the one. But God, you see, is so passionately missional 
that he leaves the 99, Jesus says, to go and find the one. The one who stupidly got lost and away from the other 99. Because Jesus is saying, God's heart is a heart that is absolutely passionate for the one, for the lost, for the far off. God is abundant, over the top, risky for the one. Much more so than the church of today would be, I think. Um, we would be, well, we've got 99. Actually, that's more than the farm down the road who've only got 80. Um, so we're doing all right. We've got 99 and we've lost one. So hey-ho, that's the way it goes. You know, you lose some, you win some. That's the way it goes. God says losing one is not an option. Losing one is not an option. While there is one lost, I'm after it. After him. Why? Because God has a missional heart. He's interested in mission. He's interested in that transformation, both of individuals and ultimately society. Can I, can I justify saying something like that? Well, next slide. Hope you can see these. So just picking a few out. God, in an act of mission, creates Adam. An act of creation, an act of relationship, an act of reaching out, it's an act of mission. In Genesis, God says to Abraham, go. And Abraham goes. He didn't say stay, he didn't say stay safe, he didn't say look after yourself, he says go. And he goes. Moses, go to Pharaoh, and then take the people away. Mission. God to Joshua, go take the land. Don't stay safe. Don't stay in the wilderness. Go take the land. Isaiah, who will go for us and who will we send? Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah's whole commissioning is about sending and going. The prophets, all of the prophets in the Old Testament, the term go or find or send is, is used of them. All of them are commissioned to go. Jesus sent into the world as the fulcrum of the missional heart of God. Jesus then explaining in the parables about the heart of God, which is all about transformation. You see what I'm saying here? The thread that runs all the way through from Genesis to Revelation is that God has a heart to restore individuals and structures that are lost and damaged and broken by sin. We call it the rule of the kingdom that has come. The rule of Jesus, the king, has now come into the world. And everything is up for grabs. Are you still with me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of us anyway. That's good. And so bit by bit, the sending God sends Jesus into the world. Jesus then speaking to the disciples, what does he do to them? He sends them, doesn't he? He sends the 12, he sends the 70, he sends the 72. And then when he's going back to heaven, he commissions them and sends them in the power of the Spirit. You can't look and read honestly the Bible and not understand that God is about reaching out rather than staying in. The goal is about active, active transformation, not settling back for stuff. 
This is quite hard for us because we kind of like settling back, don't we? We kind of we kind of like church to be a safe, comfortable space where we all know each other, and it's so nice and warm and cuddly. Um, and the world outside is so nasty and horrible and full of nasty people. And and we like it when we're all nice and safe. And now that COVID is almost gone, we all hug one another again. And, and it's like a big fluffy marshmallow church. Um, unfortunately, God sees church as the group of people that he has called and selected and filled to be the risk takers in the world. The risk takers in the world. So I'm sorry if you like kind of fluffy marshmallow images of church. I just don't think you're going to find them in the Bible, in the Bible you have a risky people, a dangerous people, a people who are not afraid, a people who, who are challenged and who struggle and who are marginalized and sometimes persecuted and sometimes ignored, but they just keep loving in the world, loving in the world. And then they gather together and they share their wounds and find the healing as we gather in the presence of Jesus to do what? To be sent back out into the world again. We gather to scatter. We scatter to gather. And we come back and forward like this in the pain and in the beauty of grace. Next slide, please. There we go. So I'm going to miss the Matthew stuff for the sake of, sake of time, except to say, you know, um, it's really interesting, isn't it, that Jesus said he would build his church, but we were to go and make disciples. Right? We are not to build the church. Our focus is not really on the church. Our focus is on discipleship making. How do you make disciples? One life at a time. You invest your life into the life of somebody else in the way in which Jesus has invested his life into you. So let me just ask you, because it's one of the, it's one of the banes of my life, and you know, this is, this is my home church, so I can ask it, ask it here. Who are you pouring your life into? Who are you mentoring? Who are you making time for? Who are you spotting at a younger age and think, you know, I'm going to get alongside them. I'm going to have them around for food. I'm going to share coffee with them. I'm going to do stuff with them. I'm going to allow them to see Jesus in me so that they themselves will catch the fire of Jesus in others. Just imagine if half the people in the church all consciously mentored one person and gave life for one person, what would that look like? What might that look like? That'd be a strategy for mission, wouldn't it? And if you're somebody who is going on uh, with, with God and is a disciple of Jesus, I want you to look back and think, who actually shared life with you? Who made the difference? Who allowed you to see Jesus 
Who had patience when nobody else did? Who pointed you in the right direction? Who in the Holy Spirit enabled you to understand and see more clearly what life in the Spirit looked like? One by one, one by one, one by one, the kingdom comes, the kingdom comes, the kingdom comes. One life at a time as people engage in the Spirit. Next slide, please. So I love this in the Acts passage. And I just really want to highlight this uh, quickly. These, these things all come together. The context is the kingdom, if you look at the start of Acts. The disciples don't really understand the, the kingdom. And they say, Jesus, you know, tell us a bit more. Show us the kingdom. How is the kingdom going to be, be revealed here? What does this look like? And Jesus, on the back of a conversation and question about the kingdom, talks about them. So there's a a link between the disciple, you and I, and the kingdom advancing. And he says, um, you will receive when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So Jesus is expecting that the believer has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon them. You with me so far? Yeah, yeah. So, so you've encountered Jesus. You've met with him. You've given your life to him. The Holy Spirit has come upon you and worked in you. Why? So that you can receive power. Why? So that you will be my witnesses. The Greek word there for witness is the same word that we have for martyr. So you will be the costly people that point, that point to the kingdom. You're a kingdom carrier, a kingdom witness, and it's going to be costly. But you're not going to be able to do it in and of yourself. And that is the underlying point of the church. We keep trying to do church as if it's a natural thing. If we just work harder, if we just get it better, if we're just shinier people, if, if we just give an extra hour, things will change. And what Acts 1 is telling us is actually church and kingdom are supernatural. They're not natural. We're not going to change it. God is going to change it through us. So it's all about God and not about us. So the, the job of the disciple, if you like, is to be open to what God wants to do in and through us. I've seen uh, and talked to, in fact, in the last couple of months, I think I've spoken to 15 church leaders who are all either um, on the sick, signed off, giving up. And, and one of the big things is they're saying, I just don't have enough energy for this anymore. I just got, you know, I've got so many things to do. I kind of out of lockdown, church has restarted. We've got less volunteers. I just kind of pushing myself and pushing myself and pushing myself to do more and more, and I can't cope with it. And my guess is it's not just pastors. That's phenomenal across whatever work we're doing. But, but the thing is, in some of these conversations, I've had to say to folks, listen, the church doesn't grow because of you. The church does not grow because of you. The church grows because of God. 
is God who builds the church. And sometimes you're taking on responsibility that's not yours. And you're worrying about stuff that's not yours. You need to allow the spirit to move. So right after that, in in Acts, um, next slide, please. Um, All the way from from Acts 1.8, all the way through Acts and the rest of the New Testament, all you find again and again and again is the guiding, the prompting, and the working of the Holy Spirit through the church. Somebody will say the book of Acts shouldn't be called the Acts of the Apostles. It should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And, uh, and I love it that, that the first thing you hear of the disciples pretty much after this is when Peter um, and John are going to the Gate of Beautiful. You know the story. And, and a beggar asks them for stuff. Right? And they say, silver and gold, we don't have any. But in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Where, where do you think they got that? Where did they learn that from? They've seen Jesus do it for the last three years. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, did that over and over again. Take up your mat and walk. Them, now into the world, as disciples, full of the Spirit, what do they do? They do what Jesus did. Open to the Spirit, they do what Jesus did. And they do it again and again and again. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter is with Cornelius, and um, remember that story, if, if you know that story, and Peter's not for it. Peter doesn't understand why Gentiles should become part of this kind of new movement. He's, he's really kind of opposed to it, doesn't want it, sits up on a roof, I think in the huff, actually. He's, he's in a bit of a creamy, uh, and, and he's not having any of it. And the Spirit speaks to him in a vision and tells him exactly who is going to be part of the kingdom of God. And radically changes his theology, but that's another, uh, another talk, really. But in the midst of it, it's the spirit who directs him to where he's going to go. When Paul wants to go to particular places, he says in the later uh, chapters of Acts, the spirit prevented me from going here. It's the spirit that's maneuvering the church to go and fulfill what God has called it to do. It's the spirit that is working through the church. See, it's not the church's mission. It's God's mission that the church is invited into. Now, I think that is really, really great because here's the thing. If you're waiting on my resources to see renewal happen in Perth, I have to tell you, You're done, right? You're finished. You're probably sitting there already thinking that, but you're definitely done because I don't have the resources, don't have the energy, don't have the intellect, can't solve all the problems, so there's a mass of things that are not going to happen, right? But if it's God's mission and not my mission, then it's God's resources, not my resources. And therefore, I start to pray. And suddenly, people are healed on the streets. I start to pray, and suddenly, someone 
uh, is freed from addiction. You start to pray and move and act, and suddenly the resources of heaven are unleashed on a place. Why? Because it's God's mission. It's God's mission. And God is just looking for people to be involved in his mission with his resources. We don't have time to go into lots and lots of stories. So, um, but I'll just, tell you, I'll just tell you one story. Um, so this a, a, a couple of months ago, I was, I was in Glasgow, and um, I was waiting on, a, as I always am, waiting on a queue for coffee. All, all my kind of stories are about waiting for a, a queue and coffee, uh, for coffee, right? So I was waiting uh, for, a, for a coffee, a black Americano, none of your kind of fancy nonsense. You know, why, why buy good coffee and then put caramel in it? What is that about? I never understood that. So, so black, uh, black coffee, I'm waiting. Uh, a couple stand, stand in front of me, and, um, and I have this sense of God saying to me, okay, I want you just to start speaking to them and, uh, in the queue. And I'm like, can't you be bothered with that nonsense? Um, so, but I just start... You know, a great day, great weather, what you're having, all that sort of stuff. They're thinking, who is this weird person? Um, and we start, start this conversation. And I have a, a, just the sense to say, I think this person uh, is going through quite a rough time. Why don't you just offer to bless them? Right? To say to them, so I'm a Christian. And uh, this may seem a wee bit weird, but Christians like to bless people. That's what we do, isn't it? Yeah. Well, some of us do it a bit more than others, maybe. <laughs> uh, um, I just kind of go to, want to bless uh, people and stuff. Would it be okay if I just say a quick prayer of blessing over you and, uh, and your partner, whoever this is? Uh, they're taking it back a little bit. And I said, um, actually, that, that would be great to do. Um, because we just had, actually, it was very close, but we just had a family funeral bereavement. And, um, and we'd just be making the funeral, funeral arrangements and pray. So we went to the table and just prayed for them. What happened out of that? Did they become Christians? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, did they uh, suddenly get on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? No. Did the kingdom break through in love? I think so. Did they feel blessed that somehow somebody had taken time to love them, care for them, pray for them? I think so. Are we open to the prompting of the spirit? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. My wife Carrie always uh, challenges me quite a lot, challenges my behavior, which doesn't surprise you for a minute, I don't think. But one of the ways she challenges my behavior is uh, she always stops at um, big issue sellers or people who are begging uh, in the street, wherever we are, and, and asks them if they want a coffee and a sandwich and goes and kind of buys it and brings it back to them. I just walk past. That's what I do. Um, she doesn't. And she stops and she speaks and she values people and the kingdom breaks through. 
and love breaks through because people have identity and worth and meaning and Jesus cares for them. You see, the mission of God is not, it's not a big, huge strategy that you kind of download on a sheet, I don't think. I think it's individual people who know that they have been loved, who are filled with a supernatural spirit, who are open to that spirit, and then simply live in it and keep in step with it. And through millions of acts of kindness and acts of love and acts of supernatural grace, sometimes dramatic, where, you know, my son does all this stuff in the streets where he sees people healed almost every day on the streets. But sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's, it's a whisper of grace. Sometimes it's giving honor to people who have never had honor in their lives. Sometimes it's putting an arm around people. Sometimes it's saying, we can make a difference in this community. Sometimes it's saying, how do I live in humble service to others? But whatever it is, it's the example of Jesus in the world. And the challenge of everything in the world is to act like the world and not act like Jesus. And the call of the Holy Spirit in the world is to act like Jesus, not like the world. And when our hearts are open to act like Jesus in the power of the Spirit, then transformation comes.